Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to the Automation Morning Show for Tuesday, February 21st, 2023. My name is Sean Tierney, and let's start by taking a look at what's new in industrial automation. First up, we have a new product announcement from Cole Morgan. Now, this is a couple weeks old. I missed this one, but I did want to share it with you. It's about their new advanced P8000 series of uh, Stepper Drive. And there's a picture actually on this page here. And they go into all the new features and functions of this new product. And if you use Cole Morgan or if you need Stepper Drives, then I thought this would be of interest to you. Next up, we have a new article over here at the ISA announcing a new Fuzzy Studio from Fuzzy Logic. So um, this product, in summary, this product is designed to allow non-robot programmers to program robots. And in the picture here, you can see they have an ABB robot. Now, I've never used this or heard about this software before, but apparently it's brand new. It's been released on the website. And this article goes through its capabilities and its licensing. So if it's something you've been following and you're interested in, please check that out. You'll find this link and all the links over at automate.news. Next up, we have a great article from Inductive Automation. It's about conquering the clock, three tools for rapid HMI and SCADA development. Now, this article, even though Inductive makes their own SCADA package, Ignition, right? We've had them on the podcast. Um, I think this article is kind of universal for all HMIs and SCADA packages. So uh, the first step is using templates. Now, you may know these as phase plates, or you may know them as global objects, but it's definitely something I cover in my course of USE Basics because it's used more and more today in um, projects because it saves so much time. So the idea behind it, this is you design a graphic once. It's kind of like an add-on instruction in a PLC, right? You design your, uh, your graphic once, your object once, and then you can reuse it all over your project. And typically, you'll put more effort into that object if you know that any changes you make to it will automatically be updated everywhere it's used in your project. Very similar to an add-on instruction or in a Siemens, it would be like a function block, right? So in any case, I thought that was a great point and they go through all the different types. The next one they talk about is UDTs, right? So we know creating your own data type in a PLC can be extremely helpful. If you have 100 tanks, every tank has a level, pressure, and temperature, then instead of creating 300 tags, you can create one uh, custom data type and then uh, instantiate that 100 times, right? Make it an array of 100. And then you have all of the tags you need. And then on the HMI SCADA side, when you're creating your object, you can just do, you know, x.level. So you insert the tag name and it's dot level. Or if you're displaying the pressure, you do x.pressure and you replace x with the tag name and you'll get uh, the pressure of that tank. So very, very true. We do this a lot at my VSE course because it's not to do it would be not to use the power of modern PLCs. We also do it with in my course, my VSE course. We also do it with legacy PLCs too to show you kind of some of the struggles you have trying to implement that in older products that don't have UDTs. And then the last item here is leveraging the power of parameterized pop-ups. And this is really cool too. It's very much like that global object or template or faceplate where you have a pop-up where you can pass in the parameters to so that you can reuse the same pop-up over and over again. So uh, I thought this was an excellent article from the folks over at Inductive Automation. So I wanted to share it with you this morning. All right, next up we have 
an article from Stahl. Now, this is a, a company I'm just starting to follow. Um, you know, they have a known name in the industry. But this article itself is pretty interesting. It's about um, what they're calling here the digital nameplate. So if we think of a motor, a motor has a nameplate and it has all the, you know, the uh, critical information about that motor on the nameplate, right? Well, these digital nameplates are like almost like an asset tag and a nameplate and a history of the product all roll into one. So it would have every piece of literature about that product, you know, specifications, user guides, whatnot. It would also have any 3D models for it or any drawings. It would also have maybe a purchase history and a born on date and like, um, you know, where it was purchased, where the warranty's from and uh, just more, you know, as much information about that product as you would have electronically would all be included in this digital nameplate. And it ties into something they're calling the asset administration shell. And this is all tied into digital twins because if you have this digital nameplate, then it'll be easy to make an emulated version of your product because you have everything that's known about it. You have all the drawings and specs and whatnot. So in any case, a very deep article, very interesting article over at Stahl. Next up, we have another article from ISA. This is actually really good. It's the top five robot trends of 2023. And I thought it was really good. Let's go through the five of them. Uh, first up, we have energy efficiency. So look, with the prices of energy going up and people trying to reduce the amount of energy they're using, it just makes sense to take a look at, hey, am, is my robot being the most efficient and it's in the current process? Is it making a lot of wasteful movements? Can I save energy? And uh, in doing so, um, sometimes you can actually extend the life of the product too. So if it doesn't use as much power, it'll last longer. We're all familiar with that with just the, you know, regular old relays, right? If, they, if less power is going through them, they last longer. But that's the same for motors and more complex products as well. So uh, that's number one. Number two, reshoring. So a lot of times when your goal is to move manufacturing closer to the users who use what you're making, right? A lot of times... It, you know, robotics come in because maybe the people who are using your products are less likely to be interested in designing or building or, or, or manufacturing the product, right? And um, in those cases, it makes make sense to add more robots in these new updated process lines or manufacturing lines wherever, wherever you're moving your manufacturing to. So it's always, uh, it's always interesting. And it doesn't have to be a full-blown articulated robot arm. It could just be pick and place, right? But in any case, um, it makes a lot of sense to me that this would be a perfect time when you're reshoring or or moving manufacturing closer to the end user that you would look at maybe increasing efficiency and doing more automated tasks. Number three, making robots easier to use. Now, we talked about the first story. We had a, a, an article at the ISA about uh, Fuzzy Logic and their Fuzzy uh, Studio. We also talked a week or two ago about a whole consortium being built to try to make a generic interface to all robots. So any any PLC can talk to any robot, kind of like what we have with uh, in, in other places, like with OPC, right? So um, in any case, I thought this was very interesting, and uh, I think you you'll have a wider adoption, and you'll be able to sell robots for less if the support and the programming is less, right? So in any case, I thought that was an interesting topic. Artificial intelligence and digital automation. Now, whenever I hear artificial intelligence, I'm just programmed to automatically think Skynet, right? And I think a lot of my generation is. And I think artificial intelligence is really um, 
the name, I don't know if it's used correctly in our industry. I would look at this as two things. Number one, machine learning. So we've had teachable sensors for decades, right? Instead of having to go in and set the exact light level or the exact shade of color you want the sensor to give you an output on, you just put the product in front of it and say, record that, right? So teachable sensors really simplify um, setting up, you know, a smart sensor. And so, you know, as I talked about with Elon Musk and his self-driving cars, they took it to the nth degree, trying to teach it that, hey, the bike on the back of the, the camper in front of you is not something you have to brake for. It's moving with the camper. It's not a bike crossing the road, right? So that's a different type of teaching and much, you know, where they're sending millions of images from cars every day through, uh, through the system to try to get it to understand what is a concern and what isn't. But, you know, somewhere in between, we have what's happening on the plant floor where we can make using robotics easier by having more self-teach features, more features that doesn't require hard coding and, and a lot of uh, debug and, and trial and error. So with that, then we also have, of course, analytics, right? So analytics is a big thing today. And, you know, a lot of people collect a lot of data. I think we even had an article, we talked about this last week, but most of that data never gets looked at because a lot of it is just repetitive noise, right? It's just a minutia. It's not what's new. It's not the deviation, right? And so that's where really good analytics come in to actually find the deviations, right? And some people call that artificial intelligence. I disagree. I just think it's good analytical software that can be programmed to find the deviations and, you know, to, you know, and that's what condition monitoring does, right? And does really well. So taking that into the analytical side so you can find deviations, I think that's big. Now, if you disagree with me on any of these points, please let me know in the comments, but uh, those are strictly my own opinions. And last one they have here is a second life for industrial robots. So you can imagine, just like any technology, you have a, a capital investment in a very large physical robot but some of the attachments, some of the electronics get upgraded by the vendor. So if you take a robot off a line and decommission it, you can actually repurpose it by upgrading the different parts and pieces to it. So I can definitely see scenarios where that happens. We see that all the time when, uh, when people consolidate PLCs from two PLCs to one. They have extra PLCs that can put it on some other system in, in the plant. So with that, I thought this was an excellent article and I wanted to share it with you. Next up, we have an article about communication challenges facing mobile robots. The beginning of this article I thought was excellent. It really dives into, you know, what goes into, you know, having uh, reliable communications to your AMRs and AGVs. Um, towards the end of the article, they start talking about can a lot as kind of maybe the de facto standard. I don't know if I agree with that, but in any case, I thought it was an interesting article and I wanted to share it with you this morning. Next up, we have an article from WWT. Um, they do a lot of stuff with networking and cybersecurity. And this is another article you may want to add to your quiver if you're trying to convince uh, your management to take cybersecurity seriously. Um, this talks about a new trend where, uh, you know, hackers are using ransomware, right, as a service. They're actually offering their ransomware solutions to other bad guys so they can hack into your facilities and cause you damages and steal your intellectual property. So it's a whole other uh, look at cybersecurity from a kind of the developing, you know, what's happening in the field and, and how are the, uh, the enemy, what they're doing to try to get into your plant and steal your stuff so, and take down your network. So in any case, I wanted to share it with you because it was excellent. And next up is my uh, product spotlight of the day. I figured that since I talked about Skater earlier, I would go ahead and promote my VUSC course. This course covers everything you need to know to get started with VUSC. I don't cover, the one thing I don't cover 
is server client architectures and setting up a standalone server to serve like 20 different clients, right? Or setting up redundant servers. So we do have to set up a client to talk to the standalone runtime. We do uh, do editing online with Vue Studio, but um, I didn't go into the whole server client architecture. I know that's changed and expanded since this cost came out. So I do hope to do a second edition on this next year where I'll go into that. But uh, for now, if you need to get up to speed on VUSC, this is an excellent course. Um, as you know, I think I've said it before on the show, I've been using uh, Factory Talk VUSC since it was RSVUSC and its predecessor, RSVU32, back when it was Control View for Windows and Beta. So in any case, it's a great product. And I do cover attaching the UDTs, attaching the legacy PLCs, attaching the modern PLCs, using faceplates, using global objects, using pop-ups. Um, and so on. So I tried to cover everything you'll need to know in a very step-by-step -step basis. And I provide all my, all my code. And matter of fact, um, there is usually in the appendix, I include all the code I do in a programming course because a lot of the libraries, I don't want you to have to create yourself. So I want you to be able to use my libraries. But in any case, you can see all the images of the, from the course here and what we build and so on. So with that, next up is a pub crawl. I found three new publications today, all on the Emerson website. The first one was on, or the first two are on their UPSs, solar heavy duty UPSs. And the first one is the SDU-AC, and the second one is the SDU-DC user manuals. So if you're using either of those, be aware that they just released new manuals on their website. Now, when they release them on the website and the actual date on the manual doesn't always match for some reason, but in any case, these just showed up uh, over the weekend, so I wanted to share them with you. Uh, we have another manual too. If you're using the Rosemont 2240S multi-input temperature transmitter, then you should know there's a brand new quick start on it. And this one did come out in February. And um, so I wanted to share that with you this morning. From there, I want to go over to events and a Horner Automation has a new event coming up later today at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And this is on using their all-in-one HMI PLC outdoors with a Stalin Solar shield so i this kind of piqued my interest because i'm wondering if that stalin solar shield could be used with any hmi but in any case if you're interested in that that's at two o'clock today and then upcoming on march 6th we have a new event from odva um actually two different events so we have introduction to sip security okay this is from they say it's from eight to one but in reality it's from eight to nine thirty and then um it completes from 11.30 to one, okay? So it's two parts to that same session, all right? In the middle of that is another session called SIP Safety Technology Training, okay? And so this is from 10 to 11.30, so you could actually take all three if you wanted to stay in uh, virtual training all day for the old DVA. So I wanted to share that with you. Next up, we have our audio video file of the day, and this is an excerpt from a previous morning show where I walk the viewer through how to get access to and download the latest trial of TIA Portal completely free. And I just checked this morning, it's going on almost 48 hours and I still have not been approved. So um, I'm hoping to be able to do the first, uh, the next tech tip on actually how to use this and use the PLC simulator to actually create some code and test it. But I'll have to wait for that trial to get approved first. So in any case, uh, that is coming out today at 3.30 over at the Automation blog and on our other video uh, streaming sites. And now I want to go into question of the day. So I, one of the forums I follow, a question came in and the user asked, hey, I got an L43, that's an old Compact Logics. And he said, uh, you know, the IP address keeps changing. 
I'm like, what? So he says, he's like, I have to keep going in and changing the IP address. Why does it keep changing back? And so I, you know, I assume that when he was in there changing the IP address, he also disabled BoopDHCP. So I said, okay, you need to see if it's looking at the non-volatile. Maybe it's loading every power cycle from the non-volatile, which has the IP address stored in it. And so he did that, and he said that was not the case. It has no non-volatile memory in it. So at that point, I said, okay, let's back up. Go in and ensure that you have static selected and you do not have uh, boot PDHCP selected. Because if you don't have a non-volatile, if you change it to static and give it an IP address, it will stay there forever. I said, if that is the case and it still changes back, the next step I want you to do is look through the code to see if somewhere in the code it's changing the IP address. I've never done this. I've never seen a reason to do it, but I believe it's possible with an SSV instruction. So I told them to also check that. Now there's other reasons, less likely reasons that it could be happening. There could be a MAC address mapping in his uh, router that is uh, changing that address back. Now that should not be overwritten if it's set to static, right? Um, that should only happen if it's DHCP. Um, the other thing that uh, could be happening is just another colleague is changing it back because he thinks it's supposed to be the other address. So, uh, and there's some other things too that get really technical and I don't know if, uh, if, uh, if he would be able to troubleshoot that. But in any case, I wanted to share that back and forth with you. And if you have ideas of what could be happening, please leave them in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. From there, I want to go over to our community corner. We always start off with birthdays. So if today is your birthday, I want to wish you a very happy birthday. I hope you get to have a great time today with your family and friends. If you're working today, which most of us typically have to work on birthdays, I hope you have a great time tonight. And uh, now if you're connected with me on LinkedIn and have your birthday in your profile, you show up in my connection birthday list. And so like I do every day, I like to wish all my connections who have a birthday today, a personal happy birthday, including UT, Carl, James, Marcus, Kelvin, Terrence, Hans, Jared, uh, Oliver, Drew, Pablo, I'm sorry, Paulo, Josiah, Myher, and Oaken. So I want to wish you all a very happy birthday. If I mispronounce your names, my apologies. But in any case, I hope you have a great day today. Now, from there, I want to go over to our community site here, automation.locals.com. Now, this is where you can follow me completely free. Or if you want to support the show and the work I'm doing, you can do so and become a member for as little as one cup of coffee a month. And that way you can post your own posts. You can reply to posts. You can ask, ask questions, answer questions. You can also message me directly here if you want to ask me something that's confidential. Um, and, uh, just another tip here. I did have a member say, uh, Hey, Sean, um, the data line of 40 software is not in the download here. These, these are, I share free downloads that are, you can't find online anymore. So, um, I downloaded them in the past. So I share them with uh, my community members. And, um, so I went back and looked and I hadn't downloaded that. I don't know why. I mean, the DL40 typically would program with a keyboard, right? Um, but in any case, what if you wanted to upload and save the project, right? Or download the project. So in any case, that old DOS software. So I started searching through my emails. And this is something I used to do when I was a technical specialist. Um, we, would, we would send people the free software if they were having trouble downloading it. Just saved us time trying to walk them through the website. And so I did find some emails from 2007 where I had the software. And so I actually had it, two different zip files. So I included them both in that download link. And I renamed the download V2 and renamed the original one old 
So you'll know which one to grab if you're a member and you need to get some of the old DTAM microview or data line of software. So with that, I wanted to update you on that. And next, if you think I missed any news, please submit this form and tell me what it is. I'd be more than happy to cover it. And if you're a vendor or if you're talking to your vendor, consider sponsoring the morning show. We're looking forward to taking all the commercials off next month because we've uh, um, got a sponsor for the month of March. And we're excited about that. We're also going to be doing some giveaways. So we're really excited about that. So, uh, but we need more sponsors if we're going to fill some of the open positions and we're going to do some of the cool things we've talked about doing. Uh, we'll need more sponsors to get behind us and uh, we'll be able to help get your word out to our audience. So with that, I just want to remind you that every single link I covered today is over at automate.news, our industrial automation news aggregate website. Say that three times fast. And I also want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to talk about what's new in automation with me this morning. I want to wish you a very happy, safe, and healthy day. And until next time, my friends, peace.